worship team. Um, that was that was awesome. Don't you just love the presence of God? Don't you just love the presence of God? Yes. You know, worship is such a key. And before I get into my message today, I just want to remind us of how significant our personal and our daily worship time is. When you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, when you're spending time with God, take time to worship Him. Something happens when you lift up the name of Jesus. And then when we come together corporately on a Sunday, I am believing for a move of God during worship here in a school hall in Walnut Creek, that there would be such a tangible presence of God, that you would be so moved, that you'll be so transformed, because it would be like a heavy blanket that just comes and just rests. Can you say amen? amen. Do you see that? We don't just sing songs to warm up before the message. We lift up the name of our God, and I am believing for something so amazing. I want to share with you, we had the best community group on Wednesday. I love our small group. And one of the ladies shared that she has been carrying something for 20 years, for 20 years. And it was in a service last week that she felt God release her from that. And the freedom and the smile on her face, that lady has changed forever because she sat in a corporate worship service like this. Saints, let's not forsake the gathering of the church. Let's not forsake what God can do when we come together corporately and worship Him. In a moment, He can change things. There was another lady who shared, she went through a horrible family situation and for three months, she just sat at the back and cried. And then all of a sudden, in a moment of worship, God said to her, it's time to get back up. And she got back up again. Things can change and lives can be transformed in His presence. Well, this month we're teaching on faith because February starts. No, I'm just kidding. This is a month of faith and um, we're going to end the last week in February with Dr. Nina. If those of you who came on a Saturday morning, this is a powerful lady. She's short, she's tiny, but I tell you what, God has packed some phenomenal stuff in her and you want to be blessed on that last Sunday in February. We're talking about unshakable faith today unshakable faith. So write down unshakable faith. Many of you know the Padbergs, Steve and Deb Padberg and their son Fletcher is here today. Steve lost his battle with cancer in October last year. And um, so thank you for everyone who prayed and, you know, supported the family through it. And they are truly some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. And it was such an honor to be able to do the memorial service for Steve. But shortly after Steve's diagnosis, I met with Deb, and um, we're sitting in a little coffee shop in Walnut Creek. If you ever had a meeting with me, you probably know what coffee shop it is. And we're sitting there, and Deb said something that changed my life. She said, Ellie, my faith is tested, but it's not shaken. My faith is tested, but it's not shaken. So I want to talk about unshakable faith today, that even in the face of incredible loss, her faith was tested, but it was not shaken. May we be a people, may we be a church of unshakable faith. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. 
We thank you, Lord, that you are present. We thank you, Lord, that you will fill our hearts with faith, an unshakable faith, a faith that pleases you. Lord, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living, it's alive. May it be active in our hearts today. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at the reason why Abraham is called the father of faith. We're going to look at why scriptures like Romans 4 says Abraham believed and it was accredited to him in righteousness. We're going to look at why Hebrews 11 mentions Abraham in the hall of faith. And why in Hebrews 6 we'll read that even after waiting patiently, Abraham received what is promised. So you're ready to look at the original story as to what Abraham did, what Abraham went through, that the New Testament would speak of him in such high esteem. Turn to the screen and you'll see Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 14. Genesis 22, 1 to 14. You ready? If you've got in your Bibles, you can obviously read it there as well. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Abraham didn't have a multitude of children. He had one son whom he loved, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. You mean to say, God just told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And then early the next day, Abraham didn't complain. Abraham didn't say, hang on a minute, God, I really have to talk this over with Sarah. We're kind of both in this, you know, we're co-parents. I need to consult with her. God, are you sure? I'm just going to sit on this request from you, Lord, for a few days, for a few weeks, for a few months. I just want to make sure that I heard from you, God. Wouldn't you and I respond that way? Like, hang on a minute, God. Are you sure? Did I hear you correctly? But early the next morning, he wasn't slow to obey. He did it the very next day. Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. You can hear his statement of faith already as he's telling his servants, we are going to worship and we are going to return. Can somebody say amen? It's a good scripture. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Father Abraham, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son, his only son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. It's like, this is where you told me to go. This is where I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Wow. That's an intense passage of scripture this morning, isn't it? Some of you might be thinking, I'm so glad that God never asked me to sacrifice something so precious. Do you know, Abraham was 75 years old when he first received the promise that God said to him, I will make you into a great nation. Now, I know that I'm not the smartest person in this room by a long shot, but in order for somebody to become a great nation, to have so many descendants, what is something that you would need? Descendants, minor detail, you would need an offspring, the child or two, right? In order for that promise for Abraham to become a great nation, he needed some children. And we know from the passage before that Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. Sarah was 90. For the mathematicians in this room, a hundred take away 75 equals 25, just to be clear. For 25 years, Abraham waited for the fulfillment of that promise. For 25 years, he said, God, you spoke to me that I am going to be a great nation, that there are going to be so many descendants that will come from me. 25 years, people, that's a long time. That's longer than some of you have been alive. If you're 50, that's half your life. You've been waiting for something for half your life. So can you imagine having waited so patiently for something so important? Could you imagine the joy? Could you imagine the excitement? Isaac, Sarah called him that because of laughter. God had brought laughter back into their home. Finally, after 25 years, the promise of God was fulfilled. And Abraham was willing to sacrifice that promise. Why? Because his faith was unshakable. He never doubted. He never wavered. He spoke to these servants and he knew that we are returning. He knew from the very moment if God asked him to do something, that God would not leave him stranded. He didn't understand how, but with such humility, he accepted God's word as truth. Now, we don't know how old Isaac was at the time of the testing. And if we were meant to, Scripture would have told us. Scripture told us Isaac, um, Abraham was 75. 
when the promise was spoken, Scripture told us he was 100 when Isaac was born. It was important for us to know that 25 years had passed. But we do know that Isaac was not a small child. Have you ever walked with a small child for three days? I think not. <laughs> Carry me, pick me up. Are we there yet? He was also able to carry a large pile of wood, enough to build an altar. Theologians guess he was probably a healthy, solid teenager. He could speak, he could engage with his father. I want you to think about this for a moment. If he was strong enough to walk three days, he's strong enough to carry this pile of wood on his back up a mountain. Is it reasonable to assume that he would have been strong enough to wrestle with his dad to get back off the altar? I have a teenage son and an almost teenage son, and there is no way I could bound them down on an altar unless they did so willingly. Oh, I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying today. Such was Abraham's faith that he must have imparted something into Isaac that Isaac willingly allowed his father to bind him to that altar. Because even if my dad slays me, I know that my dad has spoken about a good God. I know that my dad has spoken with faith in his heart about how amazing and incredible God is. Even if he slays me today, I know he'll resurrect me. I know there's a plan. Such was the faith of Abraham that his only son was willing to let him bound him to the altar. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the very thing that would lead to the fulfillment of the promise of God upon his life. So let's personalize it for you and I today. Are we, are you, am I willing to lay down? Are we willing to give up anything that would come between me and my relationship with God? Am I willing to lay down anything that God is asking me to? Is there something in my life today that I actually need to lay at the feet of Jesus, leave it there and trust him with it? How do I know that I have unshakable faith? because it's been tested. We know that Abraham had unshakable faith because he was tested. You and I know that our faith is unshakable simply because it has been tested. You know, James 2 verses 14 to 18 talks about how without faith, action is dead. Sorry, yes, without action, faith is dead. You know the scripture I'm talking about. Faith without action is dead. Faith without action is dead. I don't have a scripture for this one. But James 2, 14 to 18 talks about faith without action is dead. Your faith is known to be real because it's been tested. When your faith is tested, there's an action that comes from you and I that shows that it's real. Now, in the Old and the New Testament, when you see the word test, it's translated to mean to prove by trial. Everyone say, ouch. A test is to be proven by trial. So when God tests us, and the key word here is when, 
When God tests you and I, do you know what he's doing? He's proving that our faith by trial is real. Not for him. He already knows. But for you and I, so that we know that any obstacle, anything that we're facing, we know that we can overcome. Turn with me now to James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. James 1, verse 2 to 4. He says, consider it pure joy. Not just joy. He had to add in the word pure joy. Everyone say pure. Pure. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of us look at incredible men and women of the faith, and we look at them and we go, God, I want to be like that. And God's like, okay, but you need to go through then what I've taken them through. There is a maturity and a completion that comes when we step through those trials, when we allow God to test our faith. James 1 verses 2 to 4 in the message translation says it this way, consider it a sheer gift. Friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, Your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. Under pressure, that is when the true you comes out. When you're in a trial, when you're in a test, when you're under pressure, that is when your faith comes to the forefront. It comes to the light, who we are when we are tested. So how much do I believe the scripture to be true comes to the light when it's tested? The testing of our faith produces perseverance. Perseverance is a continued steady belief or effort that withstands discouragement or difficulty. So what exactly does the testing of our faith mean? It means that our obedience is going to be tested. We're tested to find out, are we willing to obey God? Are we willing to obey His Word, no matter the personal cost? Are we willing to obey even when we don't understand? Because we know, like Abraham, that the Lord will provide. Are you and I willing to stand for the truth, even when our friends, our family members ridicule us for doing so? I remember the story when God asked Mark, to give up surfing. 16, 17-year-old boy surfed for hours every day. And God told him, I want you to lay it down. And he did. At the time when God asked him to lay down surfing, Mark had no idea that years later, he would call him to Houston, Texas, where he'd be surfing heat waves and no longer beautiful ocean waves. You never know what those tests of obedience are preparing you for. Our obedience to do things we cannot possibly understand is what counts, is when we talk about unshakable faith, you and I have to go through those trials. That's why a few weeks ago I talked about digging wells. They're so important that through that trial, I've got a reservoir to rely on, to depend on. 
you know, when Mark and I left Australia, our obedience was tested. I've been in that church 20 years. I'd been on staff, gosh, for 10 years. And when we left, we were told, you will never preach again. The hand of the Lord is lifted from you. One of the leaders even said, we are the spawn of Satan. You know, my faith in the local church, my faith in church leadership was tested big time. At the time, I had no idea why God was putting me through that trial. I had no idea. I couldn't possibly comprehend what was to come. But I will tell you this much. That trial produced a perseverance in Mark and I. And honestly, I don't know that I could have stepped out and planted exchange had I not gone through that trial. It's not fun in the moment. I don't know why he says to consider it pure joy. At the end, yes. During it, not so much. I tell you what, unshakable faith comes because my obedience is tested. Through the trial, trust him. God, I don't know why you're doing this, but I know that there is a reason why. There is something you are teaching me, an ability to persevere that I don't understand in this moment, but years to come, I'm going to be thankful for it. When we stepped out to plan exchange, when we got here, the climate was churches closing, churches were combining. There wasn't a lot of faith in this area. And in fact, there hadn't been a new church plant in years. There have been some bigger churches further out had planted a campus here in the East Bay, but there had not been a church plant in a long, long time. And we were told when we got here, there's only two good times to plant a church. That's January, February, when people are thinking about getting back into church, or August, September, when, you know, the summer is over. And we're like, yes, that's what we're going to do, right? Because that's wise. And God said, no, you're going to plant in the middle of summer when everyone's at Holy Tahoe, right? You're going to plant right at the worst possible time ever because I want to defy the logic of human wisdom. And Mark and I were obedient. Planted the church in May of 2016. And there were 67 people who came with us on that first Sunday, which was awesome. You can clap. Yes. And I tell you what, I felt like our faith and our obedience has lifted something in the East Bay, has lifted something. There have been so many church plants since, even in the city. And it just takes somebody to break that ground, to go, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to be obedient. And then watch what he does. And I find it fascinating that in 2023, God's speaking to us about a building again. Because what has happened in the Bay Area the last couple of years, churches have closed again. The number of churches that have closed in our area is staggering. And isn't it interesting that God knocks on the door again at Exchange Community Church, a church filled with unshakable faith, a church filled with obedient people who, God, I'm going to trust you in the trial. I'm going to trust you 
even in the storm. And I believe God is knocking on our door for a building because He wants to stir faith again in this area. God's heart is for exchange, yes, but it's for the church. And He wants to do something so powerful in the Bay Area. And when we talk about a building at exchange, it's loaves and fishes. I mean, what we have is pennies compared to what we need. But isn't that just like God, right? To plant a church in the middle of summer in an area that had been so hardened to the things of God. And even through COVID and everything, he would still want this church in existence. Isn't it God to look at our bank account and go, that's perfect. If you had millions, you wouldn't need me. But your little pennies, oh, I can do something with that. Why? Because I want to defy the logic of human wisdom. I want to do again what I did in 2016, and I want to lift the faith in this area. God loves the impossible. Amen? You receive that? I want to invite the band to come up. The testing of our obedience ultimately reveals if a belief that I hold is a conviction or simply a convenience. What do I mean by that? So when the test comes, what it shows is do I do this out of conviction or do I do it because it's convenient? I'm tired. It's been a long day. I just want to go to sleep. It's not convenient for me to spend time with Jesus. If it's a conviction, you better believe I'm not going to sleep until I have spent time with Jesus. It's the difference between something is a conviction, no matter how tired I am, how inconvenient it is, I will spend time with God. If it's something I do out of convenience, when it's convenient for me, that test, when it comes, will reveal it. So my question for you this week, this is what I want you to ponder on. Is my obedience based out of convenience or conviction? Do I obey God because I'm convicted to do so? Or do I obey Him only when it's convenient? Now, I'm secretly glad that the 49ers are not in the Super Bowl. I know my pulpit is not big enough to kind of like hide behind. I know what you were thinking, Mark. <laughs> Can't hide from the tomatoes. Everyone say tomato. Why? Because it's not convenient to come to church when the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. But I wonder if my spending time with God, my being in the presence of God, my being at church, is it a conviction or is it a convenience? Unshakable faith means it is a conviction. So ponder this week, what in my life do I do out of convenience and what do I do out of conviction? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what stands in the way today of you having unshakable faith? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it an unfulfilled promise? Is it fear? Is it disappointment? A misunderstanding of scripture? 
the heaviness from COVID, the weight of my job, what stands in your way of unshakable faith? And close your eyes. It's only something you and God can answer. Can answer it for you. Because conviction only comes from the Holy Spirit. Correction comes from man. But we're talking about conviction today. What is it that stands in the way? I want to take you a moment to ask the Lord. to your people. God, I just thank you that even in this moment, God, that your children are allowing you to speak to them. Holy Spirit, we give you full permission. If there be anything in our life, an obstacle, an idol, a thing that we're holding on to so tightly that if you were to ask for it, we could not lay it at your feet. Would you speak to us about that thing? Because we, your children, want to have an unshakable faith. Because we, your children, want to stand when all else is falling apart. We, your children, want to be able to stand and speak the truth. So, Lord, we want to lay that thing at your feet right now. Give us the courage. Give us the conviction, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. God, I speak boldness over your church today. I speak courage over your children today that we would not allow anything to come in front of our relationship with you. Jesus, may you be our one thing, not a thing in our life. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, even in this moment that the tangible presence of a living God would so permeate our heart and our mind. We would do nothing else but to respond to your call, nothing else but to lay it down. We repent for carrying things in our life that you never called us to carry. We repent for not waiting patiently. We repent for not trusting you. And we repent for not obeying you today. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.